The opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. Finals week has arrived, and so has our last show of this semester. It is a very good evening to you and how you be with William Haynes here and you there on the other side at 89.7 FM, WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. You're listening to Tomahawk Talk. That's the weekly sports power hour on the voice of Florida State. You can also listen to us online anywhere in the world, wvfs.fsu.edu online. We upload the program as a podcast the next day in case that you ever miss it. But we're here live on this Monday night here, Monday of finals week. Was kind of surprised to see how slammed campus was coming over tonight. So I hope everyone is doing well with your finals. Grades are good. You're wrapping up the semester in good form. Maybe you've got some good plans for the summer, internships, vacations, or otherwise. I think we put this out here the last couple semesters. Uh, homework help. I think between us we've got a sports management major, communications major, some English. Uh, so we will not be helpful at all. But if you want to throw us some questions, you know, mechanical engineering, you can't figure it out. Just call us up, 850-644-1837. Let's have some fun with it here at the end of this semester and mix it up a little bit. Also on the board, FSU baseball continues their worst season in program history. FSU softball looking to make this final stretch run this week right now uh, as their last few games of the regular season. They'll go to the ACC tournament next week and then the NCAA uh, regionals uh, in the in the, the postseason the week after. Also, uh, Florida State transfer news. Micah Pittman leaves the football team or at least enters the portal for now. Uh, FSU men's basketball picks up a pretty good piece that we'll get into. And then also, of course, the big stuff over the weekend maybe that you've been keeping your eye on. The NFL draft had some big quarterbacks going early. A ton, a ton of trades uh, in there as well. It seems like the draft gets more and more nuts every year. And then as well, we'll have uh, some NBA playoffs, a lot of big series, a lot of marquee teams. Steph Curry scored 50 points in Game 7. That's most of any, any player in a Game 7 of all time. Uh, the Knicks and Heat going at it and all, and all sorts of things in the basketball world. So hopefully if we can get to all that, that's what this slate tonight will look like. What we want to do now is introduce you to the crew that will be taking you up to 8 o'clock, talking all things sports. And as we start every week, uh, our co-host of the program, Jackson Bake. It's Jackson. How are you? I'll tell you what, I'm doing fantastic. Uh, I appreciate you having me on each and every week. Um, you know, I hopefully I'm not understating. This. It really is a blessing, so I really do appreciate it. It's always always a great time. Um, I want to say um, congratulations to my mother. Today's Maypole Day. We talked about this pre-show. Uh, she was crowned the Maypole Queen this day uh, when she was about 10 years old. So you know, not a not a long time ago, but you know. Uh, so I want to shout out shout out to the mom there, uh, Miss Bakich. Uh, but I'll tell you what, if I was doing any better, I'd be dead. And um, it's just a great time here at Tomahawk Talk and at V89, WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State. And uh, I'm excited to get this going. You've got that glow coming off of you, Jackson. I know you've kind of picked up a new routine playing some golf before our show's Monday. How does, how's that been going? You shoot okay today? Uh, you know, it was it was bogey golf. You know, I, I was 45 on each side. Uh, for you math majors, I'm sure you automatically knew that equals 90. Um, so, you know, it was pretty average day. Um and I even got to play with uh, one of the people on our show tonight. I got to get out with you uh, to the links one of these days before we do a show. I haven't been able to. I can't tell you the last time I golfed, but it just it's been working well for you, man. I can tell. So maybe next semester that'll be a fun thing to try out. That segues us perfectly into uh, Jackson's golf mate earlier today and our good friend Jack Arducer coming back on the program. Jack. Uh, we also always mention this summer you will be a, a video replay operator in Tropicana Field for the Tampa Bay Rays, which is super exciting. I have a, a Rays shirt on at the moment. I know that's something we're very excited about, uh, but good to have you on one last time this semester as well. I wouldn't be anywhere else on a Monday night during exam week as we head out of here from Tallahassee for the summer, but very excited to be in Tropicana Field, very excited to be in beautiful St. Petersburg. What a great part of the world that is. Uh, Jackson Bakich is very good at golf. I learned that today. Bogey golf is very impressive to me. I play closer or in between bogey and double bogey golf. So it was really good to see that. And uh, he fixed my slice on drive. So I got to shake his hand and say thank you to that. And But yeah. Well, William. I appreciate that, Jack. And, you know, you're a pretty solid player yourself, you know, and uh, we kept good pace. That's the most important part of golf is keeping a good pace. So uh, it was a good time having, uh, having you out. And uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. 
If there's one thing you would have to say about us, we definitely have our priorities straight. You played golf earlier today. We're doing our show tonight, even though we do have an exam together. <laughs> Me and you, Jack, tomorrow morning in about uh, 12 hours or so, or maybe 15. So we're in the right place right here and right now. And uh, rounding out our crew, last but certainly not least, Amanda Golson, a member of FSU Batgirls. I'm not sure if she has anything to do with their uh, horrific struggles this season. Probably not, but you never know for sure. And also does great work with sideline reporting for uh, the ACC Network. So, Amanda, great to have you back on the program. Thanks for having me. I would like to not be, uh, what's the word, attached Blamed. to that. Yeah, I am not to blame for that. I would hope not. All I do is pick up the bats, and hopefully when they get on base, that's when I pick up the bat. I see you on TV sometimes when you're stationed in the, the Florida State dugout, so when guys come in after a bad strikeout, you never say, hey, man, you really should have been looking for that slider down and away had you swing man, at that. I, never anything like that? I want to. I just I want to make, like, you should have had that one. Like I saw James, that, two I, strikes. you got to protect, man. What I are you doing? I saw that from in the dugout. Yeah, no, unfortunately I cannot give a pep talk, but okay. I would. Shorten up. Shorten up the stance, or you, yeah, you know, choke, choke up. up. Yeah. Exactly. You could put more pine tar on the bat, or cork the bat, maybe to help him out. Cork a metal bat. That would work. <laughs> that would work incredibly well. Yeah, Throw I tennis we... balls in there. You've never heard of that? No, I have not actually. You know, slip in. You know, one of those literally combats in there. You know, that weigh twenty ounces. Why not? They need something. Uh, we made the joke last week. Uh, Florida State baseball and softball were both in Notre Dame, and I, I made the joke maybe because uh, we ended up finding out that they did take the same team charter. And I said, how, how, uh, why don't the softball players maybe give some hitting instruction uh, to some of the baseball guys? It was a cool scene. Uh, they both played Friday night, and baseball actually wrapped first, and they, they came over for softball, which was an extra inning. So that was cool in South Bend to see the Florida State players and coaches cheering the Knolls to get a win in, th in that game. Well, I'll tell you what, William. We kind of have our own debates about, you know, Barry Bonds. Why, why don't the FSU players just get on roids? You know, if you ain't juicing, you ain't producing. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you're cool with it, why not? I don't know what the the testing protocol looks like for the NCAA. I would imagine probably not as stringent of those in professional baseball. So maybe uh, and, and no better time to remind you that yeah, legalize you, anabolic steroids. The, opinion, right? the, the, the opinions expressed on Tomahawk Talk may not <laughs> may not reflect that of WVFS Tallahassee. So we like to just make sure that that's out there as well. So just things to think about when your baseball team is 15 and 27 and they're going to miss the NCAA tournament for the first time in 44 years. You look anywhere you can uh, to try and get things back on track. And uh, before we get into that as well, a shout out to our producer peeking in from behind the glass, the great Jack Oliaro, screening your telephone calls because we'd love to hear from you, the listener, bring you on the show and have you talk with us. The number to call is 850-644-1837. You can also drop us a line at V89sports on Twitter and Instagram. So Florida State baseball again, 15 and 27. They are six and 18 in ACC play, so they are most likely going to finish uh, at the very bottom of the conference. They will not qualify for the conference tournament, and there's only a couple of teams that miss it, so it's a hard thing to do, and that's where the team is right now. But they will get the first pick of the draft, right? Uh, I don't believe so. So, oh, uh, dang unfortunately, <laughs> no tanking for Wemby. That nah. doesn't apply here. A 3-2 to two win for baseball on Friday uh, to at least avoid a sweep, I guess, in Game 1. It snapped a 14-game road losing streak, and uh, they had won the Sunday game the week prior against Virginia Tech, so that made it back-to-back -back wins for the first time since March 10th and 11th against Pittsburgh. So there's been 24 games since then. That was also the last game Wyatt Crowell pitched before he went out for Tommy John surgery, and really the rest was history. In the top of the third, Jaime Ferrer with a two-run double to make it 2-0 Knowles, and Florida State led the rest of the way. Ferrer had a double in each game of the series. He had a nice weekend for sure. Right now he leads the team in hits uh, with 58, doubles with 16, and tied for first in RBIs with 34. That was actually after the, the Friday game. Those numbers have sh uh, shaken up a little bit. But Baumeister with a nice comeback start. We used him really as an exhibit to look at maybe the pitching coach and, and him uh, as a reflection of the rest of the guys because – He's been uh, having a lot of ups and downs this season. This was one of the, the better performances. Six innings, allowing just one run, and he struck out nine on 106 pitches. Doug, Doug Kirkland had one of his best outings of the year, two and a third in relief, scoreless, uh, picking up his second save in a row. And then, really after that, it was the, the Knowles that we have known the last few months, a 12-2 loss to the Irish on Saturday. Notre Dame had a six-run fourth and a six-run eighth. 
Whitaker, the starter, got blown up five runs over just uh, over three innings. David Barrett gave up four runs in that other big inning as well. Florida State actually led 2 nothing after three and a half before things got away. James Tibbs hit a leadoff home run to begin the game. Apparently, Florida State did not have a leadoff home run since June of 2017, but Tibbs had two of those in the past eight days. So uh, that's one of those weird, I guess, ESPN stats that if your team was actually competent, it wouldn't really be a talking point, but really the only one of the only good things you could say about the team right now. And then a 12-8 loss on Sunday where the Irish hit four home runs. Florida State tied it in the fifth to make it 5-5. to Ferrer with another double. Uh, and uh, Ross had a three-run homer in the third inning, his first home run of the year. Notre Dame broke out of the tie with seven unanswered runs, and then Florida State put uh, one up in the seventh, two more in the eighth, but the comeback did fall short, 12-8 uh, to eight the final. Montgomery got the start, allowed five runs uh, over three and two-thirds, and Jamie Arnold, the freshman, gave up five runs in an inning as well. So Notre Dame is not really a good baseball team. They were around 500 in conference play. Uh, nothing really to show for it. We had talked about as well, Link Jarrett going back to Notre Dame where he coached for a few years and maybe what would be running through his mind. Uh, but at the end of it all, even though you do take game one and there were some bright spots, you ended up really getting blown out uh, in the last couple of games. And so uh, another unsuccessful week for the Knowles on the baseball diamond. Yeah, but you got to think about what worked Friday for them. And that was a great starting outing on the mound by Baumeister. And it was followed by Doug Kirkland succeeding getting the save as well. He had his struggles at the beginning of the year, but it looked like in that last two and a third inning, he put it together, didn't allow a hit, walked a couple, but that's nothing new. And from the FSU bats, you saw that they collected two runs right away from a Jaime Ferrer double, scoring two. But how the two runners get on base? They walked. They were patient at the plate, and that's how you produce runs. That's how you get guys on base, and so that's what worked on Friday, at least. I don't know what to say about Saturday and Sunday, but that's more of a pitching thing, I think, as well. You can't blame the offense for putting up eight one of those days, you know? Certainly not, and, and that's been a problem, too, is sometimes the bats will get hot for a short stretch, and the pitching is as bad as you can imagine, and then the team starts pitching well, and the bats go as cold as they ever have, so they haven't been able to line it up. want to just throw a couple of things at you and see maybe if it brings up any thoughts. I mean, this was the seventh straight weekend series loss, and now on the season, they have a negative 59 run differential on the season. Uh, offensively, they've worked 133 walks, though their pitching has allowed 233 walks. So they've walked 100 more than they've worked. And uh, looking at the pitching, they have a 621 team earned run average. So that's just over six runs a game. Wyatt Crowell is the only pitcher on the team with an ERA under four. And four, four and a half, depending on who you ask, is kind of average. So they only have one guy below that number who hasn't pitched in over two months and had season-ending surgery. They only have two pitchers with an ERA under five, Ben Barrett and Andrew Armstrong. Uh, so, like I said, nothing is really working right now. You did point out a couple of things. Uh, something that catches my eye, though, as well, the worse this season gets, some of the older players that are playing well – I don't know if that's really going to help the Knowles because either they transfer somewhere or if this is their third season of college baseball, they can enter the draft. So other than guys like maybe Diamas Ross and Cam Smith and maybe one or two of the pitchers, Jamie Arnold, who really hasn't been good as of late, a lot of these guys that are playing well probably won't be on the team next year. So it's really tough to, to look for um, a lot a lot of bright spots. I'll just throw it out. Any, any other thoughts on baseball before we move on? Because this is kind of another short week where we blow past it. Transfer portal, transfer portal, transfer portal. I mean, I think Link Jarrett has to hit it hard. He has to. Um, you look at Leonard Hamilton in basketball and, you know, what occurred uh, as talent has slowly been uh, leaking out of that program for the last three or four years. Um, teams will be fearless. They will be, uh, you know, they, they will go to great lengths to, to get guys from other programs um, in this day and age. So, Link Jarrett does not hit that transfer portal. Excuse me, transfer portal hard. Uh, we could see another 15 and 27 uh, win loss record like we're seeing now. Looks like a little bit of a reprieve on the schedule tomorrow. Uh, they'll play the University of Florida. Right now, the Gators, the number four team in the country, in Jacksonville tomorrow at six. That game was supposed to be played, I think, in late March or sometime in April. It got rained out, so they moved it to May. The game will not be on TV. Uh, ultimately, that may, that may be a good thing for Florida State. The Gators have owned the Knolls in the first two matchups. 
uh, but it's just on the radio, 100.7 tomorrow night if you want to at least follow it. And then they'll have a non-conference weekend series here at home against Mercer, uh, all games on ECC Network Extra, and hopefully maybe they can just get some confidence, but won't help them in the conference standings, obviously, and uh, maybe just some late-season uh, wins to put up on the board. So that's with baseball, and as has been the case, softball really being the mirror opposite, and they, they took all three games against Notre Dame and South Bend, the softball team now with a winning streak up to nine games. It's an active streak. They're 43-8 and overall on the season. They are 19-2 and in ACC play. They continue to get better and better in that regard. Uh, but the non-conference really was exciting. They don't play a ton of tough teams in the non-conference. I know they took on Oklahoma and Oklahoma State on the road. Uh, but other than that, kind of a lot of cupcakes at home. This one was uh, a classic rivalry game taking on the Gators. Uh, speaking of Florida, they came in at number 15 last Wednesday into Joanne Graff Field, and the Knolls beat them by a score of 5-3. to three. Just under 2,000 fans in attendance, the third largest crowd ever, and obviously that's not including all the people that were you know, camped out in the, the Spiritway parking garage and those in the grass beyond left field. I mean, that place was teeming with garnet and gold on Wednesday, which was really cool to see. McKenna Reed, just her second career start in a pretty big game, gave up three runs over three innings. Only one of those runs earned, but the error, uh, the only error of the game was charged to her. Uh, so three total runs she allowed. Florida State trailed 3-2, to two, uh, going into the bottom of the fourth, then put up a three-run inning. Josie Muffley with a two-run double off the wall, and Mudge uh, drives in Muffley for the third run of the inning. Kat Sandercock finishing it out on the circle, the final two and two-thirds scoreless, allowing just three hits. Uh, picking up the debut, she's now 18-3 and on the season, or at, after that game at least. And it marked the fourth straight win over the University of Florida, tied for the longest streak in the series history for Florida State. That was a great way to begin the week. Yeah, and just a little note, this might be more of a, a condemnation of uh, Notre Dame fans not going to baseball games, but uh, in these series between Notre Dame and Florida State baseball, uh, there was less people in all three games, less in attendance in all three games combined than there were in the Florida Florida soft, or excuse me, Florida Florida State softball game. Which, uh, in my opinion, I'd like to think that's more of a uh, a great sign for for Florida State softball. But uh, you know, to each their own. Um, this was just a classic softball game. This was just a uh, a game that really caught my attention the entire way through. Um, it, it felt like I was watching uh, Shakespearean drama. Really, it was just a really uh, entertaining base or excuse me softball game uh, Florida State has shown all year um, because all year they have been the top dog in almost every game that they play uh, they've been down in a lot of games that they play and it seems like every week every game they find a way to at least make it interesting no matter what uh, in that last half inning um, and as we saw here it was actually the, the the fourth inning that they came back and held on to the lead but so many times they've been down and they've shown so much adversity throughout the entire year, and I think that might be one of the best qualities that makes you a great team, regardless of uh, fundamentals or regardless of how good of a hitting squad you are, how good uh, of a fielding squad you are, a pitching squad. If you have the ability, the mental toughness to come back uh, in almost any situation, I think they are really built uh, to make a run in, in Omaha, or excuse me, in Oklahoma City this year. It's really fun to watch Michaela Edenfield come up to hit because you know she's got. There's always a chance that she could hit a moonshot all the way, like you said, to the to the Spirit Way garage. And it's also really good to see that McKenna Reed, like you said, not often a starting pitcher, comes in against the biggest rival and dominates to an extent. She did a very good job in that situation, but overlooked in this game was Catherine Sandercock getting the win a starting pitcher, having the one, one of the most dominant seasons out of any softball player at Florida State ever, an ERA floating around one all year, and earning a 17th win on the year as the closer-ish type position there. And, I mean, that's just a really good thing to see of, like, a leader come in and be able to conquer that spot towards the end of the game when she's used to starting and vice versa for McKenna Reed. That was really cool. Yeah, this team is just so fun to watch. Like the energy, it, seeing it in person is even more fun. Um, f we sometimes find ourselves, it's almost dreadful to watch Florida State baseball. And that's just not the case with this softball team. They're so fun to watch. They're full of energy. And I think a big thing coming into the season was 
well, this is Sandra Cox last year. Who's going to take over? Like, she's not kind of, not the face of this team, but to an extent she has been. And it's been really good to see McKenna Reed step up and kind of, as a freshman too, put up the numbers she's doing um, almost as her replacement. So it's not that I was worried about next year, but I think seeing what McKenna Reed is capable of is kind of put a lot of softball fans at ease and kind of, okay, like we can lose Kat and still have somebody, you know? It seems like at this point, Florida State softball uh, is in that moment, kind of, you know, where a Clemson or Alabama is right now, or even a Georgia uh, in football, where they don't um, rebuild, they reload. You know, it's, right. it's, they are able to get that talent because they are such a national brand now in the softball realm that you can kind of count on the upcoming freshmen and the upcoming uh, sophomores to, to really make an impact early. Coach Alani Alameda has shown, because Amanda, you bring up with replacing Kat Sandercock, eventually it's something they're going to have to do. The true freshman, McKenna Reed, has been dynamite, but also they brought in uh, Ali Dubois, who is playing her graduate year this year. So she's shown you can bring in the youngsters, you can bring in uh, a last-year player and and get production out of either one of them. And uh, also uh, uh, with Sandercock on the topic, uh, Kylie Brennan, who we had on, on her final show last week, she was the, the sideline reporter for that game. And she had Sandercock with a postgame interview, and it was really cool. Uh, Kylie asked some great questions and got Sandercock a little emotional, bringing up that it was her final game against UF and how great it felt to pitch in front of that historic crowd. And there's a lot of good mojo uh, around the program right now and you just have a really good feeling about what's going on and Jackson you said Shakespearean I mean to win a rivalry game like that let's never kind of skip over to have a, a win like that over UF that's always huge and uh, to, to dominate them on, on the softball field is, is great to see and, and Florida is not this uh, you know just I'd say I don't want to use mid but you know they're not this <laughs> What's the best way to put it? They were a top 15 team. Yeah, they're a top 15 team. And they've been kind of that blue chip program, if you want to call them that, uh, for the past six, seven, eight years. I mean, they won back-to-back championships, I believe, in, what, 16 and 17? Um, so, I mean, they are a dominant force. And to have four in a row, it feels like magic. The SEC uh, is a pretty solid softball conference. I imagine we'll see a couple of them uh in, in the in the NCAA tournament we'll just have to wait and see on how the seeding shakes out now hopefully it's not Mississippi State mm, call back to last season yes a couple of losses to the Bulldogs to end that that season now to to Notre Dame where the softball team won all three games they played their first extra inning game of the year on Friday a five to four win and in the top of the eighth it was Kaylee Harding this was a wild sequence Kaylee Harding with a double to start it off, she advances to third on a ground out. Then Janai Kerr puts the ball in play. Harding gets out in a rundown, but the rundown took so long, Kerr was able to get all the way to third on the play. So there is an out, but they keep a runner at third. And then she ends up scoring on a passed ball after all of it to get that one run in the eighth extra inning, and they're able to shut it down in the bottom frame. It was McKenna Reed, her name coming up again, with three scoreless innings to finish it off, just one hit allowed. And she is a, a perfect 11-0 and after that, that win as well. Uh, and then a couple of run rules in five innings on Saturday and Sunday. 11-2 and 5 on Saturday. Uh, Waycaser hits two home runs in the game. She had just one coming in, so now three on the season. And that marked the 700th win for the head coach, Lonnie Alameda. So, of course, congratulations to her on a great milestone. And then on Sunday, 12 nothing blanking of the Irish. Knowles had 13 hits. Notre Dame committed four errors. It was just a really easy uh, rollover victory. The loss dropped Notre Dame to 20 or 29 and 16. So they're they're a really solid team. So to come in and take all three really as easily as they did on the road and in some cool temperatures. The Knowles have played in the cold. It seems like a lot this year going up north. Um, to, I believe it hailed on Sunday during the baseball game. Yeah, I think like that's a first for baseball. <laughs> Florida State, yeah, or baseball put out a tweet for the Diamas Ross home run. It was the first time he had homered in rain, sleet, and snow. Yeah, <laughs> and it was the first home run of his career. Regardless, it was a cool scene. So, just showing they can get it done in, in all environments. Certainly, uh, they'll play Florida again in Gainesville on Wednesday at 6 p.m. It'll be nationally telecasted on ESPNU. And then their weekend series versus Louisville uh, will be here at home. Uh, the Cardinals are 35-14. and 14. They've won nine in a row. So that's this week. And then next week will be the ACC tournament. 
uh, Knowles just need to win one against Louisville this weekend uh, to clinch the the regular season ACC title, which would mean the one seed, obviously, in the conference tournament. So that would be a first-round bye. You would play the winner of the 5-4 game in uh, the first game that you play, and then if you win that one, it's straight to the uh, straight to the, the final. So you would only need to win two games against probably not the best in the tournament. And Louisville is actually ranked second in the conference, so number one versus number two going at it this weekend uh, for, for ACC supremacy. I know the Knowles dethroned Clemson from first place earlier this year. They'll look to stay in uh, against Louisville, uh, like we said, this weekend. Uh, moving on to some other Florida State news, uh, transfer portal news. Micah Pittman on the football side of things, the wide receiver announced he has entered the transfer portal. He played all 13 games for Florida State a season ago. He had 32 catches for 330 yards with three touchdowns. Most of that really came in one game. He had a five-catch, 85-yard performance with two touchdowns against Wake Forest in a game the Knowles lost. And then, of course, at least for me, the one play that comes in, in mind with him is the very next week at NC State, where I don't I don't know if we ever found out if he had kind of run the wrong route or wasn't aware he was getting the ball, uh, but an interception where the Knowles were only down two deep in Wolfpack territory and could have settled for a, th uh, a field goal, but an interception with with Pittman being the target and that one for the second straight loss. Uh, in his career, he's played four college seasons between Oregon and Florida State, 877 yards in four years. Johnny Wilson had 897 yards last season alone. So uh, that's what I will say. Let's not get too worked up about this. Uh, panicking maybe that one of, if you could say, top returning receivers is uh, departing from the program. He did have 230 snaps in the slot. No one else on the team had more than 90, so he was really that guy in that spot throughout the year. A lot of catches behind the line of scrimmage. He was uh, often used on special teams. He got some honors on the team for, for his work there on specials. He missed the entire spring camp with hip surgery, and I think he was going to be out probably all the way leading into week one against LSU, so was likely going to miss most of fall ball, if not all of it as well. And really for me, I, I think he I think he saw the writing on the wall. He was very uh, gracious and thankful of his time at Florida State and his message on social media, but a couple of true freshmen that really shined in spring ball that are both guys that could play well in the slot. Hakeem Williams and Vandravius Jacobs, a guy who has kind of come out of nowhere, I think have kind of pushed Pittman out of his spot, and so he'll be playing elsewhere most likely next year. Yeah, and I, I think we all collectively freaked out about Pittman leaving just because there's been a lot of guys leaving, and he's probably the biggest name, would you say, to enter the portal? Uh, not necessarily the biggest production-wise enter the portal, but, you know, he had the vlog. You know, he came from Oregon. I mean, he was a big recruit, uh, a big transfer for Florida State to get last season. Um, and so he made a lot of decently, I'd say, important impact plays. But uh, when you look at it from just a production standpoint, um, Florida State, I don't want to say won't miss him, but, but Florida State won't necessarily feel that huge uh, – gap that huge impact in a large way they they won't necessarily like you said they won't necessarily miss it yeah i don't think so either because you have so much you have so many great receivers in that room right now some of the best receivers you know florida state could have ever had as a group ever you have kentron pointier you have uh johnny wilson you have hakeem williams coming in jakai douglas dre coming in yeah there's a lot of guys, and you know it's it's sad to see Micah Pittman leave, especially with his father being a Super Bowl winner and his older brother being a successful receiver in the league. You know, it's good to see that we have a kind of player like that that has a track record, a family track record of success. But this isn't as serious as we need to make it because of the wide receiver room at Florida State University right now. A room so full that I forgot one of the most important names just because he was out with injury, but Winston Wright Jr. Yep. Uh, I think this is his last year of eligibility, or maybe he's got two, depending on if he can get a, an injury redshirt. He had a, I think he was involved in a car accident before spring ball last year and missed the entire season. But he was involved in in spring camp this year and played in the spring showcase. Most likely, he'll start opening opening night in the slot, and and most likely, I would imagine Johnny Wilson and Kentron Portier on the outside. Now, obviously, if you're running four and five wide receiver sets, guys like Hakeem Williams and Vandravius Jacobs will come into play. So just a list so full that 
I think Pittman ended up being the odd man out, and I think the injury really is what sealed his fate. It was just going to be impossible to come back uh, with enough time to prove himself above some of those guys. So that's one of the the main football notes. Josh Farmer entered the portal, but then announced he's going to end up staying. So that was kind of a will he stay or will he go situation, and he had a nice freshman year last year. So uh, between battles and everything, retention roster-wise for football has been great. Now on to, to men's basketball. Leonard Hamilton continues to uh, make pickups in, in the portal, and, and Primo Spears uh, will be wearing garnet and gold next season, coming in from Georgetown. He selected Florida State uh, allegedly over Kansas, Arkansas, and TCU, who all had much better seasons than Florida State last year, but there is a connection. Florida State hired Kevin Nickelberry uh, to be one of their assistant coaches a few weeks ago, and, and he was the associate head coach at Georgetown where, where Spears came in from, so there's a very obvious connection there. And Nickelberry uh, related to, of course, Josh Nickelberry, who will be playing uh, for Florida State next year. So that's already two transfers uh, the, the new assistant coach has likely helped bring in. Uh, Primo Spears at 6'3", 185 pounds, so a smaller guard type. He averaged 16 points and five assists for the Hoyas last year, 37 minutes a game. So likely a, a guy that has his conditioning right, which is very key to the system that Hamilton runs. Uh, a great performance against UConn in December, the eventual champion. He had 19 points and five boards in that game, shot efficient from the field. He took 26.5% of Georgetown shots when he was on the floor and Darren Green, just to put into perspective, was the highest number for Florida State with 25%. So this is a guy that the offense can really run through him when he's in the game, and I think that's a player type that Florida State desperately needed. This will be his third team in three years. He played for Duquesne. Yes, that Duquesne uh, in the 21-22 season. Uh, no more open scholarships for Leonard Hamilton. I know that's a trope with him as you can never really count his scholarships because he'll find a way to work around it. But uh, that's three pickups in the portal now added with Jameer Watkins and Josh Nickelberry. So Primo Spears to me, out of the three that the Knowles have brought in, uh, I would say is the most impressive so far. And that's huge for next year because of the last year that the Seminoles had. And it's big for Hamilton and the group and the coaching group. It shows that they're already going to work. Like this season – it didn't end that long ago like it's but it's great to see that they're already putting work in this summer and for a program that needs it as well especially losing a guy like Matthew Cleveland you know the, one of the main leaders of this team last year to pick up primo and not almost i mean you could say replacement but a guy that's who going to who's going to go out there and score that's what Florida State desperately needed last year um i mean it would have been nice to have him last year but i think this is a huge pickup for Florida State for for him to pick Florida State over Kansas, I honestly did not expect that. Maybe he wants to, you know, maybe be that guy and thinks that this is the re- the best place for him. Um, but I'm I'm very excited to see how he kind of fits into this. And like you said, plays a lot of minutes, which Hamilton talked about last year. He had his starting lineup playing so many minutes, and he didn't want to, but he just he, there was such a there was no bench. He had due to injuries and just maybe guys not performing he had to play guys for a majority of the game so hopefully that's not the case next season but I mean if it is you've got a guy like Primo who's you know like you said conditioned and can play for long periods of time if needed yeah but not only um I know you just talked about him picking Florida State over Kansas talking about Primo Spears here um we're kind of in this moment you know Primo Spears if he went to Kansas, he wouldn't. He wouldn't have number one. He wouldn't have playing time most likely, or as much as he would at Florida State. Number two, he wouldn't have recess. You know, so uh, that's that's a that's a big deal to some of these guys. But when we take a look at this 2023-2024 projected starting lineup uh, for the Florida State Seminoles basketball squad, you have Primo. You have Primo Spears from Georgetown uh, coming in with 16 points. We're going to use last year's totals. Coming in with 16 points, you have Josh Nickelberry from LaSalle transfer in coming in with 11 points you have Darren Green Jr. he was a transfer from UCF last year he played last year for the Knowles he averaged 13 last year you have Jameer Watkins transferring in from BCU this year uh, coming in with 10 points and then so so you have Primo at guard Nickelberry at guard Darren Green at guard Watkins he's 6'7 he's going to be definitely you know probably that four role maybe a stretch four and then you have Baba Miller who will hopefully be your rim protector Uh, he had four points last year and the bench points, or the bench had 13 points last year. So, all in all, 
uh, there's projection that the starters, using their last year's numbers, the starters will have 54 points. Uh, last year, the starters had 57 points per game. So when we look at this, uh, I, I call it my, my elementary projected total. If we combine the projected numbers of the 2023 squad along with the bench points, uh, Florida State would be projected to score 67 points. Last year, they gave up an average of 76 points per year. So there's two main questions that stand out. How much will Bob Bob Miller improve? Now, granted, he was suspended for 16 games last year for an NCAA violation, which I think we all agree was pretty bogus. Um, I think he will be the catalyst. He has to be the catalyst for this team. And then the second question is, um, will the transfers be able to maintain or improve upon their scoring abilities? If they are, uh, if both of those things happen, really, but I think mostly Bob Bob Miller and his production is the main question. But if both of those things happen, I think Florida State will at least at least be a 500 squad and maybe uh, make a run in the ACC tournament. Who knows? You've also got guys coming back from injury. Jalen Ganey, yep. who was projected to be a big rim protector, big scorer, like what Florida State needed last year. He's coming back from injury. You've got guys like Jeremiah Bembry, who we really have not seen at all, supposedly. He, I mean, he's 6'6". That's a body. Um I mean, Cameron Fletcher, who had a great first half of the season, him coming back will be huge. Granted, like, hopefully he's healthy by the time the season starts. Um, I'm, I want to remain optimistic about this. I think that Florida State's not done bringing guys in and that once those who are, you know, went out for injury last year are fully healthy, that this could be a completely different – I hope it's a completely different season from last year. But And, and not only that, but Florida State's defense was just abysmal. Last year, William right. and I talked about this pre-show. 76 points, that's a lot of points in college basketball to be given up every year. Um, and there's there's a very solid chance that those numbers will improve, especially with Bob Miller playing almost every game, you know, barring any major injuries, and that goes for any, any, any guys on the squad. So you'd like to think that should Bob Miller really in, increase his point totals and maybe the, the defense um, – points per game numbers. I think I think you're pretty safe in saying it'll go down four or five points. It'll probably be 71, 72 next year. I think Florida State will be much 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 more competitive next year. You also have Taylor Ball Bowen who is 6'9", four-star coming in who has looked good and I mean he's another body down low. Um but he's he's a pretty versatile guy, so I'm curious to see how he fits in. He kind of not like he seems like a Baba player, but they kind of have similar builds and skill sets. But to I, I feel like people are forgetting about him just because like he committed so long ago. Um, but he's he's gonna be a big piece next year as well. You heard it here first, May first, twenty twenty three, on Tomahawk Talk. We are officially talking ourselves into a competitive men's <laughs> basketball season off the heels of a nine and twenty three campaign. So. Um, just a quick synopsis of the offseason to this point. Naheem McLeod, Matthew Cleveland, Caleb Mills all departing from the team via the transfer portal. Darren Green Jr. and Baba Miller will return uh, from last year's squad. And then, of course, the transfers, Jameer Watkins, Josh Nickelberry, and now Primo Spears. Likely there would be have, there would have to be more players that leave before you can bring any more in. Hamilton said coming into this process he wanted to add two to three quality players in the portal, and by my eyes they've already accomplished that, uh, but we'll see if there's any moves left to be made uh, in going into the summer and throughout. So that's for our Florida State side of the program, and uh, again you can call us up 850-644-1837, rest of the time dedicated to NFL Draft, NBA Playoffs, so let's start with draft night, the first round on Thursday. Bryce Young comes off the board first at number one overall. The Carolina Panthers take him after giving up a whole host of picks uh, to the uh, Chicago Bears. When all is said and done, the Panthers give up DJ Moore, two second-round picks, and next year's first rounder to move up uh, to number one to take Bryce Young, who stands at 5'10 and 204 pounds. Uh, I don't. It's hard to say what the quarterback competition will be for him. They have Andy Dalton and Matt Corral, who they took last year in the draft. Uh, but Bryce Young was really, by the time draft night rolled around, the consensus number one prospect, the number one quarterback. And so it makes sense the Panthers take him at number one. The question is, will he be a, a successful guy? I think he will be. I think, you know, I, I talked about this last week. I don't think he has the most upside. 
Um, I, I think he is probably the most done project in terms of the, the three quarterbacks that are, you know, kind of been listed as the top three, and there's kind of that, that plateau after those three quarterbacks. So when you, when you look at Bryce Young, they think his playing weight will probably more, be more around 190, um, which is, you know, just way ra- too, way rail, too thin, undersized. rail thin for, for an FSU quarterback, or excuse me, for, for an NFL quarterback. And Bryce Young has the ability to make plays. I, I think Jordan Travis will be kind of having that, that same kind of look. Uh, not saying he's going to go number one at all. It's not what I'm trying to say. But, you know, will he be able to shake the amount of tackles that he did in college at, at, at the NFL level? I don't think so. I mean, the guys he's going against are all freaks of nature's. Um, but I think he will have a solid career. I don't know if the Panthers will be turned around like Cam Newton did uh, for him almost immediately, for for them, excuse me, almost immediately. But to answer your question, I, I think Bryce Young will be able to take the Panthers to the playoffs within four years. Mm. That, that's obviously the goal they bring in their, the new head coach, Frank Reich, who had, was fired from the Indianapolis Colts, though Reich had a, a winning record while he was there. Reich's track record with quarterbacks, he's coached Carson Wentz twice in Philly and in Indianapolis. He's coached Andrew Luck, Phillip Rivers, Matt Ryan. He was 40-33-1 and 33 and one in Indianapolis. So the Panthers like what they have there. They like that they get a, a quarterback, the, the first choice that Reich wanted. They have some pieces on the offense as well. They've made some moves. Miles Sanders added to the running back room. Adam Thielen and DJ Chark, uh, some new wide receivers. And then Hayden Hurst at the tight end position. So there are some guys there. I don't know about the offensive line. And to me, the bottom line is this, 5'10", and if 190 is his playing weight, that is much too small for today's NFL. Drew Brees, a lot of comparisons drawn between the two. It was a different league back in the early 2000s. The the average NFL player has gotten much bigger, much quicker, and much stronger in the past 20 years. And I don't know how long he holds up. Kyler Murray, similar stature, already has a, a torn ACL. And um, I just... I, I don't buy it. I know he was considered the probably the smartest quarterback in the draft, really quick on his feet, thinking, but also literally he can move around well and often it, uh, ex, ex, expands plays, extends plays. So this will this will be a major wait and see, but this is a, a risk for the Panthers at number one with everything they give up to go get them. And so this left the Houston Texans who picked number two. Uh, to They wanted a quarterback, and they ended up taking the second one on the board in C.J. Stroud. Much different frame at 6'3 and, and 2'15, uh, a star at Ohio State. So for Houston, how do we feel about C.J. Stroud uh, as being a successful quarterback for them? I, I said this last week. I, I think C.J. Stroud is probably the best mixture of NFL ready, but also has a decent amount of upside. Uh, he has the arm. He's not necessarily this, this great running quarterback. He did showcase that he can run the ball. He did it against um, Georgia in the, in the semifinal. So there is this feeling that he might be able to shake some tackles. He'll be able to make some throws. I think he's a better long ball thrower than, than Bryce Young. But you know, there's been questions about his decision-making. Uh, apparently he did not do very well on his on his. Uh, pre-draft test. What, what's what's that test called exactly? It's some sort of. I know they changed the name. It used to be, I I don't remember, but yeah. it's it's basically uh, Wonderlick is what they used to use. It was called Wonderlick, and it was just an IQ exam, a football IQ yeah. kind of test. And uh, apparently he was in like the fifteenth percentile compared to Bryce Young, who was you know in the upper nineties, I believe. So we'll see. You know when when the lights shine bright. Some guys are just totally different. And, you know, the, the Texans are in this kind of weird spot where they're starting to get some pieces. They're, they're starting to see if it'll all shake out. But C.J. Stroud, it'll be definitely an interesting pick. I think that they need a lot more pieces around him in order for him to have success, though. Yeah, no doubt. Really, the first thing that comes to my mind is the track record with quarterbacks from Ohio State, JT Barrett, Cardell Jones, Justin Fields. And they all, I know that's within a 10-year span or so, but 
it seems like they all kind of are the same. It's a Ohio State team with a really good offensive line that runs the football really well. They have first-round talent at wide receiver, and they play a really weak schedule in the Big Ten. And it's I just I just have questions. Is he going to be able to stand up against NFL defenses on a weekly basis? He did have a great game against Georgia, a great game against the best defense in the country. That does need to be brought up. But that's a one-game sample size, and week to week, when your team is much worse than the opposition is a whole different story. But they had to take somebody. Obviously, they thought Stroud was the, the second best available. They may have thought he was the best. We don't know if they were the number one pick. And... Uh, as soon as the Texans come off the clock, they go right back on. They get the number three pick from Arizona and take Will Anderson Jr., the linebacker from Alabama. I think if you had asked scouts during the season who their number one prospect was, offense or defense, I think at least half of them would tell you Will Anderson uh, was the best player in the draft. So they get the Texans get him as well. And he, he was projected as the number one player for a while, before yeah. the season even started, the, the, the 2022 football season even started. And then, of course, all the media hype gets you know wrapped up in the quarterbacks, and Will Anderson kind of gets forgotten about to an extent. But again, a really good football player. To trade up, uh, they were picking at nine. So to go up to three, um, uh, they had to give up a second rounder this year and next year's first and third. So that's not nothing to get him. Uh, but they they take two players in the top three. They get their franchise quarterback, hopefully, and, and maybe a, a future star linebacker. So for Houston, with what they had to give up, is that a future that you feel good about with a, a defensive-minded head coach, D'Amico Ryans, the D.C. of the 49ers from last year, uh, with, with something to build around? I don't know. I mean, you, you look at the last time the Texans were solid. Uh, you know, it's the, the Deshaun Watson days. And I just don't think they have the pieces yet to be competitive. They're going to have to make a lot of moves, and I think a lot more moves even than they had in the draft in order for them to be successful in the short term. They they were in such a nightmare place coming off Bill O'Brien with some of his cooked up nightmare trades where he sends DeAndre Hopkins to the Cardinals for essentially nothing. They get a running back in return who's done nothing for him. Uh, obviously all the drama with Deshaun Watson. They had a GM come in from the Patriot system that was reported by local media is basically just strong-arming everyone in a power struggle. So there was a lot of awful stuff. But like I said, to take C.J. Stroud and Will Anderson and to get a new head coach that a lot of people like, it's a good start. I think it's going to take them a while to get back. They also play in a weak division, which should help out too. The AFC South, though, is going to be very interesting. Speaking of that, the Colts picked at number four. They took the quarterback I think we all like the most. Anthony Richardson will be going to Indianapolis uh, for their new head coach, Shane Steichen, who was the OC for the Eagles, this is kind of a good fit. You kind of are thinking of Jalen Hurts uh, paired up with Steichen again with a player like Anthony Richardson. Jim Ursay, the owner, said he's going to play right away. I don't know if that means week one. I don't know if that means week six, but he's going to play soon in year one. Gardner Minshew and Sam Ellinger right now are the other quarterbacks on the roster. But AR going to Indy, I think that's an interesting fit. Yeah, and, and I think AR, and I talked about this last week as well, I think AR has the most upside out of maybe any player in the draft, regardless of position. His ability, and I, and he is like Cam Newton. I, I don't. I there is no, um, there is no rationale. There is no. I don't mean he. You know, he's just like Cam Newton. I think no. I think he literally has the ability to be just like Cam Newton. He has the running ability. He has the throwing ability. Accuracy issues, yes, but give him some time to develop. I think he'll be able to hone it in. His his upside, his ceiling is so 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 high. Uh, we saw it. We saw it in front of our own eyes. He he tore up our secondary with uh, C minus at best receivers with him. Um, maybe that scheme. Maybe that's just his God given talent. I like to think it was his God given talent. Uh, there was there was moments against Florida State where he was dragging four or five defenders with him on a 20-yard, 30, 40-yard run. I don't want to... Now I'm going to rationalize. I don't want to use the term LeBron-like, but he is a freak of nature. It, it, it is undeniable that his physical ability, uh, in my opinion, was just the the best in the draft, uh, especially at the quarterback position. A combination of strength and agility uh, gave nightmares to opposing DCs at the college level and is certainly going to do the same thing uh, at the at the professional level. 
Uh, it's going to be kind of a wild ride for them in year one, depending on how early he plays. There's going to be a lot of picks early. He was not a very conservative uh, quarterback as far as forcing balls into windows. Uh, any other thoughts on Richardson? Yeah, William, I was just going to say exactly what Jackson said word for word. <laughs> but before the season started, I was wondering why everyone was hyping up Richardson. And then it was the, the Gators were 6-6 six and six and the Knolls were, you know, expected to kill the Gators. And then I watched that game and I watched who Anthony Richardson really is. And, you know, Jackson compared him to LeBron. I compare him to the quarterback version of Bo Jackson. He's, he's just like a big body Seems smart, very athletic, uh, a lot of upside, just like Bo did. And I just, I, I don't know, I, I just think that this could work out for Indy for sure. Watching them run like down the sideline, that, that is a really good comp. And you wouldn't see it because they're not the same position, but he is mm-hmm. Bo Jackson-like running the football. And like I said, uh, Shane Steichen opened up a whole new world of possibilities with Jalen Hurts. Obviously, the Bush push that they started, it looks like that's going to be legal for next year unless they decide to go back and change it. It should be. It passed through the owners' meetings this year as far as the the bill, I guess, to take it off the the ledger failed. It is football at its finest. I know know, maybe we don't have time. I'm sorry, real quick. But that is football at its finest. Men moving other men against their will. That is football. I think probably about 20 minutes of our Super Bowl show this year was dedicated to the legitimacy of that play, which was an entertaining conversation. That's, I don't know. It just feels like that's like that's like banning jumping in basketball. I don't know. The jump it's just, shot. It's, I don't know. It just it just seems like that is football at its purest, in my opinion. Well, no matter how you feel about it, I think Richardson is the perfect guy for it. Yeah. There, every team in the league wanted to copycat the Eagles, and no one could because no one had Jalen Hurts. No one had that line, but Richardson may be the closest guy. Uh, uh, speaking of uh, the continuing with the draft, the Eagles uh, stood out to me with their their approach to this year they deal a fourth rounder to move up one spot in the top 10 because they did have a pick there and they take Jalen Carter who many liked as maybe the number one prospect uh, did have some legal trouble in January he plead no contest to street racing in an incident where a football staffer and a player died in a car crash so that took a lot of steam out of out of his momentum as a as a draft prospect but Philly gets him in the top 10 uh, they also add Nolan Smith at number 31, another Georgia defender. Just take a look at this. All the Georgia defenders that the Eagles now have on their roster. So they drafted Jalen Carter. They drafted uh, Nolan Smith. They also picked Keely Ringo in the fourth round, and they joined Nicobe Dean and Jordan Davis. That's five players on their defense from Georgia, and I just think that's an interesting uh, draft strategy. We've seen teams do this with Alabama in years past, but NFL teams are saying Kirby Smart in his defense is the best in college football, and they produce the best players. So let's not even think too much about it. Let's just take a lot of players from Georgia. And they went to the Super Bowl last year, so it's been working out pretty well. And a little stat nugget. I believe it's every single starter from Georgia's defense uh, on the 2021 National Championship team has now been drafted. That's nuts. It's nuts. That's unbelievable. It's crazy. Uh, I mean... Even like the two thousand, absolutely nuts. Even the two thousand thirteen Florida State team, I think they had most of that roster drafted, but not many of them stuck in the league for super long. They had a couple of players on defense. Of course, Jameis Winston still hanging around, but this Georgia team, I think these are legitimate stars. And Jalen Carter, one of them, uh, goes to to Philadelphia. Uh, the final thing I want to touch on with the draft. There's tons of topics, but there's only so many we can get to. And Florida State, the tie-in there, only one Noel drafted. It's uh, first. Let me just say it's absurd the criticism from opposing fan bases. Oh, Florida State only had one player drafted. Yeah, because Jared Verse and all these other players decided to stay. Florida State could have had easily five players drafted, but they were uh, well enough to keep them all on the team. So. Just tell those critics to wait till next year. Exactly. I think the the Florida State draft is going to be absurd in, in 2024. Uh, but Jamie Robinson, the only Noel drafted in the fifth round, pick number 145 to the Carolina Panthers. This surprised me. He was the eighth safety taken. Uh, there were two from Alabama and two from Illinois. Two safeties from Illinois taken before uh, Jamie Robinson. Uh, and I think he's probably better than at least half of those guys. Yeah, I mean, he is a stellar ball player. I don't think there's there's any understating that. I was surprised to see him go that low. But uh, to go off that point, William, I don't understand at all why, why fan bases care about um, you know when they when they try to compare other teams and their draft picks, who cares if 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 
Anthony Richardson went number four. You lost. He was under 500 career as yeah. a quarterback. Wins he and lost. losses. That's it. That's the only way you can judge a that, team. That's that's exactly right. It makes no sense. Oh, we had more draft picks than you. Okay. Oh, we had a better recruiting class than you. Okay. Who cares? They're leaving. Who cares? Yeah. They're, they're, they're gone. Yeah. <laughs> if anything, you should be worried. Hey, guys. Guys. All of our good guys left. Our, What's now? A lot yeah. of our guys left. That, that should be a concern. And yeah, congrats, you developed talent, but did you develop wins? That should be the real concern of your team and not whether you had you know three guys get a payday. Who cares? There were three other players from last year's team that have signed contracts as undrafted free agents. Cam McDonald, the tight end to the Packers. Pokey Wilson, a wide receiver going to the Chargers. And Robert Cooper to the Seahawks. It's worth mentioning that not a ton of undrafted free agents make the team. The The greatest purpose of these players is to have bodies in your rookie mini camp and even into your your training camp in, in August leading into the season. The reason why is because it's you need a certain amount of players to practice against in your own uniform, but the idea of undrafted free agents is that they are scratching and clawing and giving 110% in every single rep of every single day because this is their only chance of making the NFL. So it's a win-win for both sides. There's a chance all three of these guys just end up being guys in shoulder pads in training camp, but hopefully at least one of them can crack the, the, the roster. Cam McDonald, it sounds like, uh, got a lot of buzz out of us talking before the show, uh, tight end. Packers definitely need weapons, and he was he was so clutch on big third downs last year. He's an interesting player. And he, and he kind of fits that that Packers mold, that uh, kind of a bigger tight end that can block for you and catch the occasional, excuse me, the occasional pass up the seam. I think you know that has worked for the Packers for so long. I'm granted you got Aaron Rodgers and you guys like Mercedes Lewis, uh, and uh, excuse me, I'm, I can't believe I'm forgetting his name, uh, Jordy Nelson. So um, I, I, I'm not saying obviously I'm not saying that that Cam McDonald's Jordy Nelson, but they kind of have the similar builds. They kind of I think they have kind of similar play styles, kind of that classic tight end. Um, so I think, yeah, I think Ken McDonald will have a, a solid chance for an undrafted free agent of making a roster. Maybe a practice squad, but, but a roster. Just think about this for 2024. Uh, players that we know, because there's a lot of transfers like Jaheim Bell and Cypress, Fent, uh, Fentral Cypress, who may be drafted highly, but players that we know that are going to be eligible for next year's draft. Jared Verse, Jordan Travis. Uh, Johnny Wilson, Robert Scott, a very smart left tackle, Trey Benson, and Fabian Lovett. Just those guys alone. I mean, I, I'm thinking five players drafted easily next season, uh, and, and that'll be that'll be great. And when that ha- and when that happens, we will brag to every <laughs> every fan base, every fan base. Hey, guys, we had more draft picks than you. <laughs> to Clemson and Miami and Florida and all those teams that love to talk uh, their game. We just have a couple of minutes left, so what might be fun to do about the draft, I know we've got some representatives from some Florida teams. We don't have a Jaguars contingent here, but Dolphins and Buccaneers. How did the Florida teams do in the draft this year? Well, Miami added a great running back from Texas A&M, uh, Arcane. He's fast. He was He's a track speed guy. I believe he ran like a 4.35. Um, he's a stellar, stellar speedster. You put him alongside Jalen Waddell. And Tyreek Hill, uh, Miami will, I almost said Florida State, Miami will have a, a great combination of speed that really fits Mike McDaniel's offense. But also, you have to say, Miami had the best first-round pick. So, you know, <laughs> in case you don't know, Miami didn't have a first-round pick because they like to cheat. But um, anyway, I, I think uh, the highlight pick at uh, that second-round pick from Texas A&M Arcane was uh, a, a stellar, solid pick that fits the system. The Buccaneers did a good job, I think. They took Cansey, who's from Pitt. He's actually a really good D lineman, from what I've heard. And then uh, the Cody Mock guy from North Dakota State. He doesn't have two front teeth, but he's got a lot of grit, and he's got he's going to dominate for the Bucks. I already know that. And then I don't know if you saw Will Levis drop to the Bucks in the fourth round. William, did you hear about that one? <laughs> I'm kidding. Baker Mayfield will be a, a close, uh, close enough. Uh, uh, I want Will Levis. No, no, no. We have Will Levis at home. And that's Blaine ba- Gabbert still Mayfield. on the team? No. I don't believe so. Gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, I don't know what the Bucks were thinking not taking a quarterback. Baker Mayfield is just going to be our guy for 17 games this year, and that's the end of it. That is how not How do you a- win 10 games with Baker Mayfield? I'll tell you how. You don't. 
You're, it's not going to happen. And Tell them how hard it is, William. It's incredibly hard. So, to me, with the Bucks, I'll, I'll say this. They, they're they signaling a full-on rebuild. All uh, they're Basically, their first four draft picks were all in the trenches. Yeah, they're raising the flags, the white flags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. The, uh, they should have a white flag coming off the pirate ship this year at, at Raymond James. I think that would be apt after in this awful what will be post-Tom Brady era, but... Uh, that may be for another week. So before I sign off, just quickly as far as summer plans, because this is our last show of the semester, we, we I imagine, will be back periodically over the summer, not on a weekly basis, and it really will just be week to week. And uh, the only thing I can tell you if you're a fan of the show to follow along is just follow us on socials at V89Sports, Twitter and Instagram, and we'll simply just post when we're going to have a, a show on a Monday night, but probably not often. We'll take some time off, and I know we've all got internships and things to do. So uh, I'll be calling uh, games in the Florida League for baseball if you just can't go without my voice for a couple months. I know I won't. So there you go. <laughs> so signing off for our final show of spring of 2023. It's been a great semester. Thank you for all those that have listened and called in and, and sent in so many great words. It's so uh, greatly appreciated. So for myself, William Haynes, my co-host Jackson Bakich, uh, Jack Arducer, and Amanda Golson. Jack Oliero is always behind the glass. I believe we've got some new release coming up next at 801. You're listening to WVFS Tallahassee, the voice of Florida State.